You are listening to the V-Backlink Podcast. This is episode 43. Today, we are talking with our friend Jenny. She's from Oklahoma City, and she has had three premature births. Her first was an emergency cesarean at 28 weeks. Then we are going to talk all about how having a premature cesarean will impact the future chances of a VBAC. But of course, before we get going into the story, we have Julie with our review of the week. Hey, I love this review of the week. This might be one of my very favorites. This is from Taylor Marie. It's got three E's at the end, so you got to say it for longer. Taylor Marie on (laughs) Apple Podcasts. And she says, I started listening to this podcast as a way to learn how to better support VBAC clients in my doula practice. And I am so glad I did. The stories and perspectives presented are so insightful, and I really believe will help me become a better doula for VBAC parents. Oh, Taylor Marie, we love you, and we love your passion for supporting VBAC women, and we especially love that you love listening to us chit-chat every week. So thank you so much for that. And guys, if you haven't had a chance already, would you just do us a favor? Hit the pause button right now and head on over to Apple Podcasts or Facebook or Instagram and shoot us a message or leave us a review and let us know how we're making a difference in your VBAC preparation or your birth choices or how you better support your birth clients. We would appreciate that so much. Absolutely. And it also helps the ratings in iTunes and it helps people find us on Facebook. So if you would just do us a solid, go ahead and leave us that review. Thank you so much. You are tuned in to the VBAC Link podcast with Julie Frankham and Megan Heaton, VBAC moms, doulas, and educators here to help you get inspired for birth after having a C-section. Together, they have created a robust VBAC preparation course along with this uplifting podcast for women who are preparing for their VBAC. Although these episodes are VBAC specific, they encourage all expectant moms to listen and educate themselves on how to avoid a cesarean from the get-go. The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. It is not meant to replace advice from any other qualified medical professional. Here are your hosts, Julie and Megan. This episode is brought to you by Earth Mama Organics, our favorite company making organic herbal care for women during all stages of pregnancy and postpartum, as well as their sweet little babies. Earth Mama Organics products are ones we recommend to all of our clients, and we have both personally used their products during pregnancy and the postpartum stage to help us heal. I personally love their organic perineal balm. It feels like sitting on a cloud. After I had my VBAC, you guys, I am so serious. Secret, my father-in-law actually still uses his own jar for his hemorrhoids. He loves it. He'll never use anything else. (laughs) And I loved the taste of their third trimester tea. That mint was a perfect little ad. And I also saw a big difference in my scar after my second cesarean with using the organic skin and scar balm. Their products are incredible, and we have only listed just a few. They have everything you need and more. I mean, really, though, they even have deodorant and sunscreen. You guys, check them out. Earth Mama Organics at earthmamaorganics.com. And enjoy a special gift from them to all our VBAC Link listeners and receive 20% off everything. This promo is good through the end of April. Get your 20% off today by entering the promo code VBAC. 
Big thanks to Earth Mama Organics for supporting the VBAC link and check out their website on our website as well. You can find all our current sponsors at the vbacklink.com slash sponsor. All right. Good morning, women of strength. We have one strong mama with us today. This is Jenny, and we are going to turn the time over to her to share her stories about her VBAC and her uh, cesarean that happened a lot sooner than she maybe was mentally prepared for. Yeah, <laughs> just a little bit. <laughs> um, so I was 28 weeks. Exactly. Got up, went to work at 7 a.m. like I had every other day of that pregnancy. Got up to the bathroom about 8 o'clock and I was bleeding. Hmm. Period amount. Yeah. So my mom and sister happened to work in the same building. So I text both of them. Had gone out and asked somebody for a pad, went back to the bathroom. By the time I got back to the bathroom, it had soaked through my pants. Of course, I was wearing white pants that day. Aww. It's supposed to be safe in pregnancy. <laughs> Clearly not. So my mom was like, we need to go to the hospital right now. Like, lights and sirens, we need to go. And I'm like, like I'm not in any pain. I'm not that worried. But okay, let's, like, let's go. So we went to the hospital. I want to say it probably took about 45 minutes from the time I started bleeding to the time we got there. And we got to triage, and they started an IV. And I thought, well, this is different, because I'd been there a couple of times for possible dehydration, and they never started an IV then and you would have thought they would yeah and so they came in about an hour later and they did an ultrasound and they said we think you might be having an abruption but we're not really sure there's blood in the uterus but we don't really know where it's coming from so we're going to admit you just to be on the safe side and this hospital doesn't have like residents or students so this is all like a nurse she never saw a doctor they came down to get me and I threw up, and then I felt fine. Got in the wheelchair, went upstairs, and my mom's like, well, how long are we going to be here? And they said, well, until she delivers, so she could be here the next three months. Whoa. So she was like, well, I'm going to call your dad to come sit with you. I'm going to go back to work because my sister and I were due two days apart. And so mm -hmm. she wanted to use all of her leave for whenever, you know, we had our babies. Right. So she called my dad, and we lived about – maybe 30 minutes from the hospital. It's like 10.30 at this point, maybe like getting close to 10.45. And so I called him and I was like, hey, will you stop and get me a hamburger? Like, I'm starving. There's a Sonic right across the street. So he does. He goes and gets us all lunch and he shows up. And it's like 11.15. By the time he gets there, I just could not eat. Like, I didn't necessarily feel bad. I just did not, like, food did not sound good to me at all. Oh, I forgot to mention, when we went upstairs to be admitted, they didn't have any antepartum or labor room. Mm -hmm. All they had was something on postpartum. And it's my understanding, I could be I could be totally wrong, but I believe it's, at that hospital, the nurses do not float between, like, postpartum and labor. And so if you only work on postpartum, that's, like, you, you don't have a lot of experience. Yeah. Yeah, labor. And it was during lunch hour, so... Whoever was there when I first got there, like, went to lunch shortly thereafter. And they had told me, like, you can get up and walk around. You can unplug the monitor, like, go to the bathroom. Just make sure that you save whatever, like, pads you're wearing so we know how much you're bleeding. So I needed to go to the bathroom. So I got up and unplugged the thing and went to the bathroom. And I just started feeling like I was going to pass out. 
So I hit the button on the, the wall, the emergency button. And my mom comes in. She was like, they're out here talking to us. Are you okay? And I said, no, something's wrong. Like, no, I'm not okay. And so she goes back out and says, no, something's wrong. Like, I need somebody in here. And so she comes back. She's like, what's going on? And at this point, I'm just like, I'm not throwing sure up. Well. Yeah. And I said, well, I want to, can I have a wet towel? That, that helped earlier when I threw up downstairs. Mm-hmm. So she's getting me a cold towel, and I'm just, like, bawling. And she's like, what? Like, what is wrong? What's wrong? And I said, I don't know, but something is wrong, and they need to get this baby out. Like, they need to get her out. Aww. And so they come in, and it's just some random nurse. I don't know if she was covering or just, like, whoever. And I have no idea. But I think she was probably, like, brand new. Mm-hmm. And she comes in, and she goes, um, is she always that pale? <laughs> And my mom yells at her, and she's like, no, she's a ghost. Go get help. Like, no, no, the Something's snow. wrong. <laughs> yeah. So she go, I mean, of course, like, there's a flood of people, and, like, the sweetest nurse comes in, and she's like, we've got to get you on the monitor. And I'm like, but I'm, like, at this point, I'm hemorrhaging. Like, mm-hmm. and I'm like, but, like, I'm bleeding. How am I supposed to get from the toilet to the, like, I'm, ble- like, there's blood everywhere. And she's like, it doesn't matter. Like, we have to get you on the monitor. And, of course, since then, I've looked at my operative notes and all that stuff, and, baby's heart rate was like in the 90s and there's like people in and out and they all seem very like calm which I'm sure they're trained to be calm yeah like it was no big deal we might do a c-section we'll see at one point they told my mom to to call the father I was in the middle of a divorce at the time so she goes to call him like you know you probably should like head this way then at that point I don't know if they like lost but I don't know it's like everything, like, hit the fan. Yeah, all at once. Everything just, like, went really fast. Like, you know, they pull the sheet off, and they're trying to do a catheter, and, you know, Dad runs out of the room, like, oh, my word, I don't want to see this. Like, the anesthesiologist is asking me stuff. And at this point, like, I'm still I, – I must have not been worried because I remember posting on Facebook, and it's literally, like, a minute before they unplugged me from the wall that we might be doing a C-section. So – where my mind, I don't know. I must have not thought it was that serious. I don't know. Of course, you know, they go, like, running down the hall to the OR. And we get there, and they're going, did anybody call her doctor? And he was like, I'm here. I've been here. Like, I've been scrubbed. I don't, like, where were y'all, basically? So, I don't know. So, there was a, was there a miscommunication in? I don't know if they were not telling him how much I was bleeding if he didn't know how serious it was, if they were just, like, being... Well, I have no idea. And so, like, one of the biggest things the next birth was, your doctor can be really great, but if your hospital is not communicating, then you have to look at both. That's the point. So I don't really know. Like, I know that when when he they called him, he walked out on a patient, like, in the middle of an exam, walked out on a patient to deliver me. Oh, wow. I know he knew it was serious, yeah. but I didn't have any of the classic signs of an abruption either. I was just bleeding. Yeah. I wasn't in any pain. I wasn't having contractions. Like, there was, until things hit the fan, like, there was no... Clear indication. Yeah. And so, when he came and talked to me the next day, he said, I knew something was wrong, but you don't want to deliver a 28-week baby on a... There, you might have an abruption when you're not contracting, you're not in pain... But, I mean, it took, from the time I hemorrhaged to the time they delivered was 52 minutes. Wow. And every doctor I've talked to since then, it's like, that is unacceptable. That seems really long. 
Oh, yeah. I mean, she was oxygen deprived. When I got into the OR, there was a nurse, like, had a fetal monitor, like, you know, they use in the doctor's office. And she was going, I can't find the heartbeat. I can't find the heartbeat. And I just remember, the last thing I remember before they sent me out is the doctor picked, I mean, like, grabbed it and chucked it at the wall. And he was like, we don't have time for this. Like, put her out. We, like, mm. put her out. We've got to get this baby out. And so talking to the NICU team later, she said, you know, it's one of the worst deliveries I've ever seen. Like, I, yeah. I, I would not leave the OR with your baby because I knew, you know, you have to walk right past the, the waiting room and the family. She was like, I, and there was nothing I could tell them. So I was not going to leave until I knew for sure. Everything. That you were going to make it. Yeah. I didn't know if you were going to make it. Mm. And um, that is so hard. So it was, just, it was just a storm of like everything that could have gone wrong went, went wrong. wrong. And, yeah. And so when you have a birth injury, you want to you want to blame somebody. Yeah. But I mean, I don't know if it was a miscommunication. I don't know if it was a new nurse. I don't. It was just a perfect storm of you know it is what it is. It still doesn't make it even but easier as, though. Yeah. As a Side note, a placental abruption is when your placenta detaches from the uterine wall before mm -hmm. delivery. Yeah. I know a lot of times when people are asking about like, you know, I want to have a VBAC or asking information and, um, you know, you'll comment or something in some middle, they'll say placental abruption and they mean uterine rupture, but they're two very different they things. They are two very different things. And, and one does not cause, like the two are not really related to each no. other. No. Unless the <laughs> placenta like embeds over the top of the scar, it ain't can increase your chances but they typically don't have anything to do with each other <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. so thank you for um, clarifying that I'm glad you took the time out yeah. for people who didn't know yeah and I had a complete abruption like it was completely detached I was looking up statistics before we started and it's either mild or severe and obviously mine's severe yeah but what I thought was interesting is when they go through statistics if your baby has ERG or is small gestational age, they automatically list it as severe, even if you just had like a tear in your placenta. Mm. So I thought that was really interesting. So there's probably fewer like really severe cases than what's listed. Because, mm. I mean, to have a placental abruption, your chances are between 0.6 and 1%. So very similar to a uterine rupture. And mm. of those, 66% are severe. But that could be because your baby was small gestational age and it was just a tear. Yeah. But, I mean, they they told us if if they hadn't delivered when they did, if he said another 30 seconds, then neither one of you would have made it. Like, it just... Wow. You would have been here. What a so, miracle. Like, this is a miracle story. Like, she is meant to be. And she did great in the NICU. I mean, like, for a 28-weeker, she was only on the vent for, like, 12 hours, CPAP for 12 hours, and then she was just on room oxygen, she never had any brain bleeds or anything. She came home with 35 weeks gestation. And from the get-go, my mom could tell that something was wrong, like off. And, of course, you don't want to believe that. So for a good year, I was like, she's just a preemie. She's trying to catch up. And I didn't have a very good pediatrician. And she had a dairy allergy. And so there was all these other things in the mix, too. But when she was about 18 months old, they confirmed that she had cerebral palsy. Because she was oxygen deprived. Yeah, and well, my I, my uh, oldest has cerebral palsy. Um, it's very mild, but he was a thirty six weeker, which is not nearly as bad as a twenty eight weeker. But um, he had a little bit of oxygen deprivation due to um the stress of labor, and there's some other things going on. But yeah, I can 
kind of relate to that a little bit. Yeah. I mean, and can, when you look at her lab work after delivery, you know, it gives like the oxygen that was in your placenta or whatever. Mm-hmm. And you can look it up and see like at, at a certain point, like babies just no longer live because they're oxygen deprived. And yeah. hers is like two or three hundred off of, you know, they just don't make it. Oh, wow. So, and she's doing incredible. I mean, they didn't think she'd walk or talk. I mean, and she, I mean, walks, talks. I mean, she wears braces and she has bands on her legs, but I mean, considering she's doing really good. So, yeah. I mean, we're lucky that we delivered when we delivered. I mean, at the time I was in the middle of a door, so I, I wasn't thinking about kids. But when he came in and talked to me the next day, he, the one thing that stuck out of my mind is he said, the, you know, the only thing that this changes is you'll never be able to have a vaginal delivery. You'll have to have a C-section every time oh you. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Have, so many people are told that. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> and I knew that that wasn't true. And yeah. I knew that the other hospital or one of the other hospitals in town did VBACs. I, I knew that they did. So I was just like, okay, like mental, mental note, like you are no longer my OB. Yeah. <laughs> Good for you. Which is um, hard. Oh, it's hard sometimes because a lot of people are like, oh, okay, then I can't, you know, so good for you for doing your research and yeah, being willing to change. Yeah, getting a second opinion and, mm-hmm. and not being that attached to your OB that you can't see past there being a possibility of another option. I mean, oh. and I loved him and I, and I'm grateful that he walked out on a patient because if yeah. he hadn't, we wouldn't be here. For sure. But yep. I just knew that if I ever were to get remarried and have more kids like that, I was not doing this again. Like it was not happening. <laughs> yeah. So um, when she was two, uh, like two and a half, I got remarried and we got pregnant like right away. And she was a fertility baby, my first. So to get pregnant right away was a shock in and of itself. Mm-hmm. I wanted a male doctor and there was only two on staff. So I just picked one of one of the two. Looking back, of course, I know a lot more now than I did then. I think that he was more VBAC tolerant than mm-hmm. friendly because yeah. um, he like used the, the VBAC calculator and he was extremely nervous that I had a 28 weeker C-section. Yeah. You know, we don't know what the decision is and you know, you have a special scar and it could be really dangerous and you're, you know, it doesn't, you know, all that jazz. But I really liked him other than that. And I even told him when he did the VBAC calculator, I was like, I mean, but you can't base everything off of that. And he was like, no. And it's not until it gets pretty low that I'm like, okay, you might really want to reconsider this. Mm-hmm. But everybody, like the entire hospital is, is very VBAC friendly. And the chance of actually getting your doctor, who knows? You yeah, get it's really goes. rare to find a, a provider that will even let you try after um, such an early C-section. Well, and, and then so, you just don't know always who your VBAC provider is going to be, like yeah. you said. Yeah. Yeah. But I was like, you know, I had a study in, in hand and I, w- I mean, like I was gung-ho, like we were going to do a VBAC. And I found out later after I delivered that my family really wasn't on board. Like they didn't think I was going to have a VBAC. Mm. They just assumed I was going to have a tolac and fail and have a C-section. So I'm glad that they kept their mouth shut because I really yeah. wasn't mad. <laughs> That's hard when you don't have support from people that are so important to you. So her pregnancy was much easier. Oh, fun fact. We thought she was a boy for a solid eight weeks because we did genetic testing. Oh. And they told us she was a boy. Oh, my gosh. And, uh, <laughs> until we got to the anatomy scan and they said, it was like the very end. And, they, and I said, can you just like confirm that it's a boy? And she was like, uh, or no, I said, can you confirm gender? And she said, it's a girl. And I was like, no, it's not. And she goes, yeah, it's a girl. I said, no, it's no. not. <laughs> and she was like, 
yes, it is. Like, showed me, yes, it is. And I was like, then you need to go find someone right now. Like, this is not okay. Wow. So the doctor comes, I mean, and they left me in that room for like 45 minutes. And so the doctor comes in and it's at the MFM office and I loved her. And she comes in and she's like, well, your paper says it's a girl too. So at least they told you, know, you wrong. Oh my gosh. But the note of the person that called you did write boy down. So I'm really sorry. Wow. So if you have genetic testing, just make sure you get the paper in hand. Yeah. Because, and I can see how it happens. Like you say it, it just says male, female, like, I could see if you're talking to people all day long that you just like glance at it and you say it wrong. I could totally see it happening. Mm -hmm. They swear I'm the only person that it's ever happened to. But once again, we know I'm the one percent. So. <laughs> My friend had so she had two boys and she was really hoping for a girl for a third, which was her last. And she got the genetic testing and they said it was a girl. And she was like, it can't like it can't be. They had to have said it wrong. And she seriously did. She's like, I will not believe it until this baby even comes out that it's going to be a girl because oh she she you just never know. I mean, they can. They can get it wrong. Well, and you also have, like, the human error. In, I mean, like, who knows? Like, that person who called you probably, like, just had a weird day. Or maybe he's calling 500 people yeah. and just saw a note, made the note wrong. Like, oh, oh my gosh. That is so hard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. so it was a girl or it was a boy? It was a girl. It was a yeah. girl. <laughs> okay. So her pregnancy was pretty easy. Like, I was obviously, like, stressed out. And you only have, like, somewhere between a 10 and 25% chance of another placental abruption. But because mine was so early and it was a complete abruption, the MFM was like, I really think that yours is probably smaller than that for it to be, you know, if you have one, it probably won't be that severe. Like, you had the worst of the worst. So we'll just, we'll do growth scans every month, make sure that, you know, they're growing because that's the first sign. And we'll do BPP starting at 32 weeks, like, we got you. Like, don't stress about it. Mm -hmm. And so I had really bad headaches with her in, like, the late second trimester. And my doctor, of course, like, tried, every, you know, you can take this, you can take that. And, of course, all they do is just knock you out. There's no good headache medicine when you're pregnant. Um, can I get an amen to that? Because I had migraines, like, two or three times a week. Like, like the first half of my last pregnancy. It was awful. Yeah. And I actually think that I had gestational hypertension mm. and they just didn't catch it. Yeah. And I'll explain. I mean, when I get to my third pregnancy, we'll understand. But anyway, so then I got to schedule my 32, 34 week appointment and they were like, well, we can't, we'll have to schedule you with the PA. Hmm. And I was like, um, why? Like I'm high risk. Like, no, this is not okay. And they were like, well, he's not going to be here, so we're going to have to schedule you at the And I was like, no, like, we are not doing this. And she was like, okay, well, I'm not supposed to tell you, but he's leaving, and he just hasn't told his patients yet, so I can't schedule you with him because he won't be here. Oh. <laughs> and I'm like, great. Lovely. So we went around. So my husband used to work at this hospital as a scrub tech, so he knows all the OBs. So we went round and round of like, well, who's our second choice? Because the other doctor, he was like, he's kind of quirky. I don't know if you'll like him, but that's the only other male doctor. And so we had picked a woman, but she didn't have any openings. And so finally we were just like, fine, just go with the man. Like, I don't care if he's quirky, whatever. Like, let's just pick somebody. So I saw the new provider at 32, and he is a saint. Like, he is a little odd, but he is a saint. Like, he has, I think, like a 87% VBAC rate. Nice. Yeah. That's nice. So I was there at 32 weeks and my blood pressure was a little elevated. So he said, we'll come, you know, come back in at 33. 
and it may have not been elevated at 32. That may have just been when I met him. Mm-hmm. It was elevated at 33. So I came back at 34 and we went ahead and did my like GBS and all that stuff early. And my blood pressure was elevated. So they had me come back for a nurse visit Friday and it was still elevated. So they sent me to L and D and they did all the lab work and everything was fine. I mean, I had had a headache the whole time. So I had a headache obviously. Mm-hmm. And Saturday night I was having contractions, but they weren't like, you know, they're not those real contractions. They're like the, you're getting your body ready. You're 35 yeah. weeks, like not real contractions, but just annoying. And I didn't feel good. And so I'd taken my blood pressure and it was high. And so I'd taken a shower and like tried to lay down. I took it again and it was higher. I was like, oh, I need to go in. So I go to the hospital at like 6 a.m. Don't wake my husband up. Nothing. Leave him a note. Because I didn't want to wake, like, wake our two-year-old up mm-hmm. three at the time. Just went to the hospital at 6 a.m. And then, of course, the nurses are like, you really didn't tell your husband where you were going? I was like, no. I set his alarm. He'll call me when he wakes up. Like, mm-hmm. it'll be all right. <laughs> so, you know, they run all the labs. And my labs are fine, but my blood pressure is high. And so they said, you know, we're going to go ahead and admit you. You're 35 weeks. I think it's safer to just induce because you're in the severe range. You've got a headache. And I'm like, I've had a headache the whole time. And they're like, yeah, but your blood pressure is high now. So that with the headache, that indicates preeclampsia. So we're just going to go ahead and induce. By this point, my husband was there. Like, this is at like 11. So we get in the room. They start a Foley at noon. And I was fully closed. And I always hear, like, if you're fully closed, you can't do a Foley. But I was closed. Like, they had to, you know, just like they do when they insert, like, an IUD or something. Mm-hmm. So I know that they can do it if you're fully closed. Mm-hmm. So my sister had been induced, kind of induced with her first because her water had partially broken. So they gave her Pitocin for a couple of hours. But she was, like, 39 weeks. But in my mind, like, it was going to go fast like that. Mm-hmm. But I was only 35. So I was like, can we just do the Foley and see if that, like, kickstarts anything? And they were like, yeah, sure. So it was like 10 hours later that they finally started the Pitocin. And it was a few hours later that the Foley finally came out. It was like 12 or 13 hours that it took the stupid thing to come out. And that thing is uncomfortable. But it does work. So it got me to a three. And I walked and labored and all that stuff for a good probably six hours after that. It was about 6 a.m. They'd come in and said, you know, I really think we should break your water. And, of course, then I don't know as much as I do now. I said, okay. You know, I told them not to ask me about an epidural. And she said, and I said, you know, like, I can't do this for a whole other day. Like, I cannot do this. Yeah. Um, like, if I'm going to get an epidural, when do you think I should do it? And they said, well, I think you should do it before your water breaks. And the anesthesiologist that was on overnight, my husband knew personally. And so if I was going to do it, we wanted to do it before she left at 7. So I went ahead and got the epidural. It only worked on one side, mm. but I did, I was able to sleep for a good, like three hours. So I slept on one on my left side, which is the side that it didn't work on. And I felt fine slept. And then about like an hour and a half and I rolled over when I ro- like woke up, that whole side was completely numb, could not move, but I could totally move my left side. And they were like, well, it's probably just cause you were laying on that side, but it never evened out after that. Like I could feel everything on my, oh. on my left. It wasn't even that bad. Like, my, I couldn't really feel anything in my leg, but it was like this horrible stabbing pain, like in your stomach. Mm-hmm. So I had, definitely had a hot spot. So they came in, I want to say it was like 10 a.m. 
and maybe it was before that, she wasn't engaged. They couldn't break my water because they didn't want to prolapse her cord. And so a couple hours later, they come in and they said, oh, she's fully engaged, but you're just not far enough dilated to break your water. Mm. And at the time, I was I was mad. Like, dude, y'all said like four hours ago, you'd break my water if she was engaged, and now you can't? Like, this is, I was going to lose it. Yeah. And I was at like, I was at a four for well over 24 hours. So people that get stuck at a four, failure to progress is not a thing if you're not at a six. It's just early labor. Oh. I was mad. I was like, who is the, who is the attending on? And they were like, actually, it's your doctor. I said, great. I want to talk to him. And they were like, well, he's in an emergency C-section, so it's going to be after that. And it must have been a really bad emergency C-section because it was several a long hours. Time. Oh, man. Yeah. And at this point, I'm thinking in my head, like, they're going to make me have a C-section. I've gone through all this agony an entire day, and they're going to make me have a C-section because I'm not progressing. And so he comes in, and he was like, you're in early labor. Like, your early labor can take days. Like, this is not a big deal. Like, you're fine, baby's fine, your blood pressure's fine. Like, we're going to have a back. It's just, it's going to take a while. And I was like, wait, what? <sighs> we're, wait, we're doing this? And he was like, yeah, it's fine. Like, I can break the water. Like, I think that's reasonable at this point. But, I mean, like, early labor can take a while. It may take another, you know, day, two days. As long as you don't have a fever or an infection, you're fine. Like, you're fine. Yeah. And I'm like, okay. well, all right. <laughs> <laughs> Great. So, this is like three o'clock. So they break my water, night shift rolls around and I'm still not like progressing. I'm still at a four. And they said, I really think we should do an internal monitor to monitor your contractions because I just feel like they're not in like a good pattern enough to like get any progression. So we do that. And I think that's what, and a lot of people say not to do that, but that's what finally like got them in a pattern and got me like moving and so about 2 a.m. I was at a six and then I stayed at a six for like three, four hours. But I was, you know, every time they checked me, I was spinning and like rotating forward instead of posterior. And the resident that was on was like super peppy. And she was like, you're going to have this baby on my shift. Like you're going to have this baby before 7 a.m. And I'm like, okay. Sure enough, at 7 a.m. They were like, you know, she wanted them to check me before she leaves. I'm at a 10. Oh my gosh. I'm staying. I am staying. Like, I am She did not want to leave, I'm sure. Well, I found out later my baby was the first baby she ever delivered. Oh. And I know that at the time I might not let her her do it, but she's still just as peppy now. So that's just her personality. (laughs) Um, I think I did three sets of three pushes and she was out. I had a first degree tear. And, of course, the first thing I said when she came out, I was like, I did, I did it. We got her back. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, but she was a 35-weeker, so, like, I barely got to hold her. I don't I don't think I even have any pictures of her, like, on my chest. They took her in the cester, and her blood sugar was a little low, but she stayed with us. She had to do the lights for a night, so we ended up staying two days, but she went home with us. And it was a really easy recovery until about day seven. All of a sudden, I was, like, in pain. And I really, really thought that I had, like, a prolapse uterus. And I had to go to the OB anyways because they check your blood pressure when you have preeclampsia. Yeah. And so he checks, and he was like, no, you don't have a prolapse uterus, but what the heck have you been doing for the last week? And I was like, um, everything? Life? (laughs) You just had a baby. Like, you need to, like, chill out. You're just, like, really swollen because – and I was like, well, I felt really good. And he was like, okay, but, no, you just had a baby, like – 
I know this is not a C-section, but like you, you need to like rest a little. <laughs> yeah. So Even though you have all the other kids, it's kind of hard. Yeah. I mean, it went really well. So about six months later, we get pregnant again. I don't recommend having them that. The age gap is not a big deal, but it's really hard on your body to have them that close together. And so loved him. So obviously went back to him. No issues in early in early pregnancy. I was part of a preeclampsia high blood pressure study this time. Everything was fine until 24 weeks. And this, this time they had me monitoring my blood pressure like a couple times a day and then like three times a day once I hit like past 20 weeks. Mm-hmm. And so I'd had a couple of readings that were like 140 over 90. And so I called and just said like, what do, like when do I need to be seen? Like what's my call-in number? And they were like, oh, I think you should get checked out. Like just do some labs, make sure it's, you know, like nothing. So I go in and... They're like, oh, we, you know, I really think you need to stay overnight. Like, we need to make sure that this isn't going to turn because last time it turned really fast and, like, you know, you you were induced that day. So we just need to make sure it's not, you know, going to turn. And so I'm there that whole day. And then they're like, well, I really think you should stay another day. I'm like, these people are holding me hostage. Like, I'm never getting out of here. I'm only 24 weeks. I've got kids at home. Like, so I ended up getting released. So they're having me check it every four hours like they would in the hospital and keeping a log and they're going to see me every week. And so it was like two weeks later, my resting BP started to be like one night, uh, like 140, 145 over 90. Oh. And so I went in, Yeah. they ran all the labs and my OB just happened to be there that day. And he said, you know, because your resting is, is high. I think we should just go ahead and start you on medication. And I said, okay, great. I mean, I didn't want to be on medication, but better than having to deliver. So that was like 26 weeks. And I started weekly um, appointments. And of course they thought, I think he thought at the time, like any day she's going to have this baby. Like he, I think he really thought that this was, this was the beginning of the end. And at any moment I was going to deliver. I'm still doing the every four weeks growth cancer at, at 32 and or not 28 and so at 32 they said she was four pounds seven ounces and I was telling them I don't think that that's right I don't like she is not that big so you felt like she was smaller than that yeah because her head was measuring big no okay so the week before this at 31 weeks we had gone in she was my most active in utero and her movement just like stopped and so we had gone in and they were like, she's fine. She's moving on the thing. Like, it's, she's, she's fine. And so I saw my OB a couple days later and had a BPP. And I thought I was supposed to have a growth scan at 31. And they were like, no, it's only been three weeks. You get it, you get it the next week. And I was like, no, we're, ha- we're supposed to have a growth scan today. And she's like, no, we just have a BPP. And I'm sure I was not very nice to this lady because I really wanted a growth scan to see how big she was. And they were like, well, if you have a BPP, then we know if they're breathing and all that stuff. So we don't really need to know how big, how big they are, which didn't make any sense in my mind, but they wouldn't do the gross scan. It was the next week. So I am like bawling by the time I get to my OB, like, and he's like, but the BPP was fine. And I said, I'm, t- I don't care what it says. Like, I'm telling you something is wrong. Like she is barely moving. Something is wrong. I don't care what it says. And he was like, well, why don't you come in for an NST on Friday? Would that make you feel better? I said, yes, it would. So I came in, 
and she had been moving better Thursday. So I thought, we'll go in, no big deal. Like, this was a waste. I shouldn't have done this. I feel dumb. And so we go in, and her heart rate is like 200. And, wow. you know, you just see the nurse and you never see the doctor. And the doctor, whoever is, you know, on triage in the doctor's office that day, keeps coming in and she's like, we'll give it a couple more minutes. And if she doesn't calm down, we're going to have to send you to labor and delivery. I'm like, seriously? Like, this was supposed to be like an easy appointment. And so finally, I mean, I was there for like over an hour. Finally, it like came down to like normal. She chilled out. So they sent me home. And I feel like I ended up in labor and delivery over the weekend for something. Oh, I was, I think I was, I don't know. I could, maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like I was there for some reason. And so they had checked on her. And then I had my 32 week growth scan and she passed the BPP and they said she was four seven. And I was telling them, no, she's smaller than that. And the doctor said, well, you know, they do look at like the smallest measurement versus the largest measurement, but it's not far enough apart for us to be concerned. And I said, okay, but I just don't think she's that big. Like she's just not. And so she was breached. So Monday rolls around and I had gotten in to see a Webster certified chiropractor and I had had a really bad headache all day, but I was not going to the hospital until I saw the chiropractor. Like it was not happening. Yeah. I think that appointment was at three o'clock and I came home and I took a nap with the baby and I woke up at like seven o'clock and it just like, I felt like I was dying. Like my head hurt so bad. And I knew like before I took my blood pressure, like we have to go to the hospital. Like this is, you know, before then, it's like, should I go? Should I not go? Is it high enough? Do I feel bad enough? But it was at that point, like, I need to go. Like, they're keeping me. Like, we're not coming home. Like, this is bad. And so I checked my blood pressure, and it was like 170 over 110 or something. I couldn't even, like, call my mom and talk on the phone. I was in so much pain. So my husband calls. Like, we're coming to drop the kids off. We need to go to the hospital. She can't drive. Like, so we get there, and my blood pressure is, you know, like, through the roof. So they're giving me a bunch of medicine, trying to get it down and running labs and they get me admitted. And eventually my blood pressure comes down. So instead of one dose a day, I'm on two. They can't get rid of my headache. I think the next day they tried a, a magnesium bolus and it got rid of my headache for like an hour and then it came right back. Oh, did it make I you feel that, like poop? Not really. Cause it was only an hour and my friend was there talking to me the whole time. So I think that helped. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's good. But the reason I think I had hypertension, the, the pregnancy before, when I started medication, my headaches went away until like right before, like the week before delivery. So I think that my headaches were definitely hypertension related in the second pregnancy and they just didn't catch it because it was just normal when I was at appointment. When I was admitted Monday, she was still breached. I had just gone to the chiropractor, she was still breached. I was so aggravated. And I think Tuesday's the day I messaged y'all like, freaking out yep i remember and that so i did spinning babies all day you know like every time they came in like I had my behind in the air and so they come in you know they do rounds and they come in wednesday and i had done all the research and y'all had sent me the research on ebc and they said unfortunately because you've had a placental abruption we can't do it and i think she's a little small to do it anyways but we definitely can't because you have a history of abruption mm-hmm. and it has that's one of the risks which I had never even thought of. I just was, it was her size up until that point, yeah. you know, that they couldn't do it. So, I mean, I was devastated, like so upset crying. They felt bad because I'm like crying. I'm like, I've already had a V-back. I'm not, I, I am not having a C-section. Like I cannot mentally have a V-back and then have a C-section. Like I can't handle this. So they feel awful. I feel awful. 
they leave. And then as soon as they walk out of the room, the ultrasound tech comes to get me. And it's literally like right across the hall. And as soon as she put the wand on, she was like, she's head down. And I was like, what? Awesome. She's head down. And I was like, yes, like this is amazing. And she was like, you are the second person that this has happened to. Like, you make me feel like a rock star, and I didn't even do anything but put a wand on your belly. Apparently, she has some sort of good vibe. <laughs> I'm telling you. And so, so she was head down, and they told me to, like, get up and walk around that day and see if that affected my blood pressure. And so, we walked, I mean, I think we walked, like, a mile. Because the hospital, you can walk from, like, children to, to the other hospital to the other hospital. And so, we just walked and walked and walked and walked. And came back and they took my blood pressure and it was what it had been, like 190 over 100. Not 190, 140 over 100. So they're like, well, like it's not going up with activity, but you still have a headache. So we'll just keep doing what we're doing. That was Halloween. Wednesday was Halloween. And so it was my one-year-old first Halloween. So I just felt like awful that I was missing Halloween, feeling sorry for myself. I talked to my mom and my husband and talked to my mom and my husband was going to stay home with the kids the next day, like give my mom a day off. And he was going to take my daughter to therapy and, and stay with them. And then he was going to trade off and she was going to kind of do that on Friday and he was going to be at the hospital. So they come in Thursday morning and, you know, how's your headache? And so I told him and they're like, you know, tomorrow you're 34 weeks. I just think we need to pull the plug and we need to induce you today. I'm like, Oh, Mm-hmm. Okay, well, we need to rearrange some plans. Not in the agenda. So, <laughs> so I was induced. So they took me over. And I am, like, mentally preparing that it's going to be another, like, two or three days because that's what it was last time. So I'm trying to, like, mentally prepare this is going to last forever. So I got a Foley at, like, 11. My husband wasn't there because he was going to take my daughter to therapy and then drop her off. So I got the Foley. And it takes them some time to, you know, call the pharmacy and get the Pitocin brought up and magnesium and all that jazz and something I will mention because I was listening to your podcast today I did not know that if they use so I knew cytotech you can't use cytotech but I didn't know that you could lose your license yeah is that what you said yep if you do that with a VBAC patient so they come in and they're trying to talk to me about magnesium and all this jazz and they're like well we're just we'll start Cervidil and I was like no I'm a VBAC patient. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. We cannot do that with the VBAC. Like, no, you're right. And I'm like, Good. okay. Glad you, Glad you told them. Some other doctor came in and they said the same thing. Like, this is, you know, like this. What, and I'm like, no. Like, did you not read my chart? I'm a VBAC patient. No. And they're like, oh, you're right. We're going to use the Foley. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Like, y'all are killing me. So they put the Foley in and there was this huge debate about magnesium. They'd wanted to use magnesium in my second pregnancy, and I was like, no, I'm not doing it. Like, I had, I've only had one severe blood pressure. Like, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. I'm just not doing it. And I had done my research, and it may have been a stupid decision. I don't know. But I, I had declined it, the, the pregnancy before. But my blood pressure had been way worse this time. And so they're like, I really think that you should do it. I know that you feel crummy. You can't get out of bed. But I just, I really think that you need to do it this time. Like, you're, you're 34 weeks. And so we have this long conversation about, so somebody comes, I think it's a nurse, comes in and is talking to me about, you know, you've got to be on it, and then you're going to be on it 24 hours after delivery. And I said, whoa, hold the phone. That's the train up. 
after delivery? And she said, yeah, it's 24 hours after delivery. And I said, so I can't go to the NICU. And she said, no. And I said, then I'm not doing it. I'm not not going to see my baby. Like, y'all are insane. Or we're not doing this. Mm-hmm. And she was like, well, let me go get a doctor. So he comes in and, and he said, well, I guess we could do it up until delivery and then turn it off. But you'll have to sign it, you know, against medical advice because, you know, your risk is higher after delivery. But I think getting some of it is better than nothing. And I said, okay, like, I'll sign it because I'm not not going to the NICU. Like, I'm just not. I'm not doing it. Like, maybe I'm stupid, but I'm not doing it. Let me tell you, magnesium is the devil's drug. It is the devil. It's awful. Horrible. In the first few hours I was on it, like, everything was really funny. Like, my husband was hysterical. All his jokes were funny. And normally they're, like, pretty corny. And... His sister came up at one point and, like, brought him dinner, and she was like, you were, his- like, you were so funny. Like, you were high as a kite, and you were hysterical. Like, you were funny. I'm like, dude, I don't, I don't know. Like, and I wasn't, in- and I kept saying, like, they, like, the Pitocin is at a, you know, like, whatever it is, like, texting my family, like, and I don't feel anything. Like, and my sister's like, dude, she's got to be high as a kite because, like, she should be feeling contractions right now. And I'm like, I feel great. Like, this is amazing. I feel great. Even though I felt crummy. I yeah. couldn't see it. Like, I wasn't in any pain. And so they come in at, like, I want to say 2 a.m. I started the Foley at 11, and it lasted, I want to say, like, six hours, and I was at a three. And then they started Pitocin at one. And so about 2 a.m. So I'd been on Pitocin for about 12 hours. They came in, and they broke my water. And I was at, like, a four to five. And they went ahead and did the internal monitor again. And then... At some point during the night, I woke up and just sat straight up and started, I mean, like, exorcism vomiting. I mean, it was horrible. Like, at the end of the bed, like, and, of course, my husband's, like, sleeping, and I'm trying to, like, you need to wake up, but I'm dying. Like, I'm dying, and I'm throwing up, like, alert anybody. So he just wakes up to, like, this horrible noise and is, like, trying to get somebody to, like, come help me because, I mean, it's awful. And then they've got to try to change your bed, and you can't move. So they're trying to, like, get me in a chair without, like, dropping me. It was awful. So I understand why they tell people not to eat. Mm-hmm. I understand why you should eat because it keeps your strength up. But I understand why they tell you not to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Bad. So I, I guess at some point I was demanding an epidural. I don't know why because I wasn't in any pain. I think that I w- the magnesium was making me feel so bad that I thought maybe an epidural would make me feel better, even though they mm-hmm. don't have like no correlation they should not have let me consent I mean I could not even sit up to have the epidural done like I was totally out of it they should not have allowed me to consent to that my husband was like you asked for it like a hundred times what like I can only say no so many times (laughs) and of course it did this time it there was no hot spot it just did not work on my left side whatsoever like could feel everything they came in and I hate like I really liked my night nurse because she had come in and given me all of my steroid shots, all of the times I had been in the hospital. But once my water broke, like she never came in and like changed the sheets or the pads or anything other than when I threw up. And so I was freezing the whole night. And so I was like, you are an awful nurse because I'm freezing and I'm so out of it that I cannot tell you that I'm freezing. And the morning nurse comes in and that's the first thing she does is like change all the sheets, all the pads. And I was like, this woman is a saint. Like I am warm. This is great. Like, you're amazing. And I don't remember much between then and, like, noon. They checked me, and they were like, you're, you're six centimeters, you're thin, you know, you're um, all the way forward. I don't know what that word is. 
like zero station. You know, we'll give it a couple hours and we'll check you again. And so it was like 20 minutes later, because I can feel everything on my left side. Like 20 minutes later, I said, I really feel a lot of pressure, like a lot of pressure. And I was laying on my left. And so I rolled over onto my back and I was like, oh, yeah, I need to poop. You need to check this. Like, I, like my baby is sign. coming. <laughs> like, oh, like trying to get me to calm down. I'm like, okay, I'll check you. I'll, I'll check you. Like, chill out. No. And so she goes to like put the gloves on, and I like burst into tears. And I was like, I'm gonna be a six. And she was like, Nope, you're at a ten. Aww. You're a ten. Yay. So she's like, you know, pushing the butt. They have like little monitor things or whatever on their chest to like talk to other people. So yeah. she's like frantically pushing it. Like, I need a doctor. I need someone to come set up. I need anesthesia. I need anesthesia. I need like frantically like pushing this button. She's like, she is like right there. Like this we need baby people is in here. coming. <laughs> yeah. So they get everybody in there and they get the anesthesia anesthesiologist in there to like, you know, push the delivery dose. They shouldn't have because I could feel everything. I didn't even get like, I didn't get numb until way after she was born. And then I couldn't move. So then I was mad. I feel like epidurals just don't really work for you very well. (laughs) (laughs) Not let me get it. So I think I pushed like, not even like a real push, like half a push. And they were like, okay, well, she's like going to come out. Your doctor is like here in the hospital. He's like two minutes away. If you just wait, like he'll be here. Like he really wants to deliver you. Telling a woman to wait that's ready to push In my mind, I was like, you're in attending, like, you're doing this. Like, you can catch this baby, you're in attending. Mm -hmm. In video, because my husband was video, I just go, I'm just, like, nicely, like, shaking my head. And I was going, I'm not waiting. I don't want to (laughs) wait. I'm not waiting. In my mind, I was, like, yelling at her. So she was like, okay. And I put, I mean, like, two half pushes, and she was out, like, and I'm sure it's because she was a 34-weeker, like, it just slid right out. <laughs> and that is, what is that, fetal ejection? Like, that is real. Like, yep. she's coming out whether I'm or not. Mm-hmm. And so I, I pretty much got to look at her, and they took her away. And something really interesting about her, all of my pregnancies are very, like, I'm the 1%. As soon as she came out, the doctor starts going, oh, my gosh. She has two true knots, two true knots, like freaking wow. out. Two true knots. What does this mean? Like what? Like what? And so they're like, she has two knots, like tied, you know, pretty tight. Like you're lucky that she's alive. Yeah. Do you know what? true knots? Like I, I've seen a couple knots, and there, it's scary. And two of them, so, you know. Yeah. It's pretty intense. So, yeah, and so it was like a big hoop to law that there was two of them. And I wish they were, I think they were on either ends of the cord. So we didn't get a picture of both of them together. And I wish we had. And I don't think at the time I realized how serious it was. Because when she was in the NICU, I was trying to, you know, I'm a statistics girl. And I didn't have any cares this time as an FYI. So I'm trying to Google it, like, what are the statistics on it? And there are no statistics for two. There's statistics for one which it's still, like, pretty rare. But there's no statistics for two because it just, does, like, it very, very rarely happens. And so, and I was talking to our delivery nurse, and she said, I've never seen a baby came out that wasn't blue. Like, I've never seen a healthy pink baby with, with a true knot, especially two. Like, that, I, I just never seen it. And so I think her, all her reduced movement and stuff was because of that. He even told me, he was like, if we had waited another day, I don't know if she would have been here. Like, she may have been stillborn. Just everything works together for... The universe works in magical ways. 
you know, and things so, happen for re- good reasons. It was just, yeah, it was crazy. When she originally went to the NICU, they were like, this is the best 34-weeker we have ever seen. Like, she may only be here a couple days. And, of course, my husband hadn't been around for the first NICU. And so he was like, oh, she'll only be there a couple days. And I knew that that was not true. I was like, no, it's like an up and down thing. Like, we're going to have a, a ride. And she was there for 10 days. So it wasn't that bad when you're in it, though. It feels like an eternity. My pediatrician is pretty sure. She was like, I, I really think she's a 33-weeker. I don't think she, she was born at 34. I think, you know, like she was earlier than that. And so when I saw, I actually saw my OB today. And so I asked him, and he said, well, we did it off your ultrasound because you don't know when you conceived. But they can be up, you know, off up to three days. So even if we were off one day, then she'd be a 33-weeker because they don't care about days. So they think she really was a 33-weeker, but she's doing good. That's amazing. That's amazing. It is, and it's a miracle. I mean, you have miracle babies. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, all every story, you just have, like, this little touch of a miracle in each story. They must be destined to do something really good. So I, bet I was going to say, you oh, we're gonna are going <laughs> to see. You have genius children, maybe. They've, they've got something uh, up their sleeve. <laughs> but we're so, so happy for you. And we're so glad that everything, you know, did turn out good. That everything turned out good when there obviously was chances with every single one that things may not have been so good. So thank you so much for sharing your story. No problem. Yeah, we just want to talk a little bit about um, how having a premature C-section may impact your chances of having a successful VBAC or if it does, in fact, increase your chances of uterine rupture. And There's a lot of misinformation out there and a lot of people just don't know or they make assumptions or, you know, it's scary. And so we want to talk about that and bust those myths um to reference all of the studies that i'm going to talk about right now megan wrote a beautiful blog for us you can find it at the vbacklink.com slash blog but there's this really cool study that looks at women who had a cesarean between 26 and 34 weeks of gestation so Little teeny baby preemies, 26 to 34 weeks. Guys, that's really, you know, where... Which is what Jenny pretty much only knows. Yeah, that's pretty much (laughs) all she knows. So in the study, um, there was only 131 women. So keep in mind, this is not like a huge hundreds of thousands of women. Okay, it's a a very small study, but it was controlled very well. So out of the 131 women with a C-section that has had happened between 20... Six and 34 weeks of gestation, 93 of those 131 underwent a trial of labor or TOLAC, trial of labor after cesarean, and 80 of those 93 had a VBAC. So 86%. Yeah. Yes. 86% of the people who tried, attempted. So uh, 61% had the VBAC. No, 61% of the original 131 yeah. had a VBAC. VBAC. Of the women who tried, which was 93, 86% of those 93 had a vaginal delivery. So Big only numbers. one uterine rupture occurred in those 93, or in those 131, rather. It doesn't differentiate. And that had a favorable neonatal outcome. There was no infant loss of life or maternal in 
that uh-huh. study. So, like I said, it's a very, very small study with very small numbers. But the uterine, uterine rupture rate for the whole study was just, you know, 0.8%, which is less than 1%, which is still very reasonable odds. I mean, they're very acceptable odds if the risk as far as uterine rupture is concerned. So, this is the thing. You will have doctors that will tell you that if you attempt a VBAC, you will definitely rupture and your baby will die. I've actually heard that said to people before. But this is the thing. It's not true. It's simply not true. Any definitive statement like that, if you rupture, you and your baby will die, is completely false. There's no, the, the thing is, is that you can't really say how somebody is going to react under a given circumstance or under different conditions. And there's so much more to consider with looking at risks for VBAC. ACOG doesn't even risk out um, having a, a early cesarean as a previous delivery for an attempt at VBAC. Now, there is something to be said possibly about birth location. So if this was a circumstance, you may want to consider um, being close to a hospital just in case rupture does happen. But if you look at the risk of rupture, it's not that much higher than after a a full-term C-section has happened. So like I said, we are going to drop the link to that study. And guess what? I'm going to keep digging after this episode and see what else I can find. If we can find something a little bit bigger or more definitive to help you make your decision. And always, I really liked what Jenny said, how she didn't believe what her doctor first told her automatically. And she went to find another provider that was supportive of her desire for a vaginal birth. And I think that that's very admirable. And it's not something that many many women would choose to do because it's, you know, it's a very scary thing. Changing a providers is a scary and hard thing, um, especially when we want to have so much faith that these providers um, know the best options for us. But the only one that truly knows the best option for you is you. I can make a Dr. Mm-hmm. Seuss book about that, right? Mm-hmm. The only one who knows the best option for you is, is you. <laughs> and Horton hears a who. Anyways, that was kind of dumb. <laughs> whatever. I love it. It's just me, Julie Frankham, on the Be Back Link podcast. <laughs> and we are going to close it out. Before- it is getting late here and I am sick. And so I better just stop talking before I go all psycho on you guys. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing such a wonderful story. And we know that it's going to inspire so many women and also really help them realize that even though they may be told one thing, that it's it's okay to go out and look for other options and second opinions. Would you like to be a guest on the podcast? Head over to thevbacklink.com slash share and submit your story. For more information on all things VBAC, including online and in-person VBAC classes, the VBAC blog, and Julie and Megan's bios, head over to thevbacklink.com. Congratulations on starting your journey of learning and discovery with the VBAC link.